Kia ora and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa. This is episode 39, we're nudging up on 40 very closely and we're joined with the, the full team today, Matt, myself, um, Metro's best dressed man of the year, Jeremy Hanson and Tash and today is the uh, Stevens Lawson episode. So joined by Gary Lawson and Nick Stevens, welcome guys, thanks very much for coming in to talk to us. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Um, we've got you today to talk about home ground, uh, and it's been a long journey, I think. Um, I remember sort of, you know, seeing the competition entries, that sort of thing. Probably you remember them much better than I do. But the, I thought it'd be good to kick off with a description of what the project is, because that wasn't clear to me. Someone who'd sort of un- tried to understand it from the outside, um, it'd be good to have a description of what the project is, what it does, and then a bit of a background on the history of it and how it's come to be, because it's, it's taken a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Where to start? Um, it, it's a, I mean, I think of it as a, a visionary social services and homeless housing project. And why, the reason it, it is visionary, I believe, is the, the level of wraparound that you get with the homeless housing. So it has uh, 80 apartments for homeless people, but as well as that, as that, it has a detox centre, which is Auckland's main detox centre now. It's got a medical centre. It has crisis care. It has a community cafe where people can eat for, for no cost, anybody, um, any, on any particular day. Uh, it's got community rooms, uh, it's got a community centre. You know, it's a really, it's an all-in-one, almost a city in a building. It's a very, very comprehensive uh, project. And it, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a, I would say it's more comprehensive than anything we know of in the world. There are similar projects, part of the, the common ground uh, lineage, which started in New York around about 2000. Uh, but they, they didn't have this level of wraparound facility. They had some social workers and, you know, one or two extra facilities, but nothing, nothing as comprehensive as this. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. Um, in terms of where it started, it is quite a long story. It's got quite a long backstory. It's a good story. And, you know, it's actually 15 years ago it began. And, you know, we were relatively young me and Gary was very young. <laughs> <laughs> I was relatively young for an architect. <laughs> and um, there was a competition held, it was called A Mission in the City. And it was it was a kind of a collab between St. Matthews in the City and the Auckland City Mission. And that they, they sort of come together to create this project together on, on land owned by the City Mission. And it was an interesting competition in that they they asked for a sort of multidisciplinary team so it wasn't just for an architect they you could put together the team that you wanted so in our particular case we had a we had a social worker we had a vicar we had a property developer and we had i think we had somebody with some financial smarts on there as well as well as ourselves and as, as well as Rewi thompson who sadly is no longer with us, uh, but it was, you know, it was a, a super interesting team, and you had to put together 
a proposal that was just more than an architectural proposal. It actually had to have a, a development idea behind it. It had to have, uh, yeah, it had to have the input from these other characters. And so everybody put their own team together, and uh, it was a two-stage competition, which, you know, it was after the first stage, it was narrowed down to was it three, Gary? Uh, so it was a bit more than that. I thought it was about oh, six of us. Oh, okay. How many were in round together? one? <laughs> oh, uh, heaps. Was, was it yeah, open? Oh, there was, Actually, it was an open. Some offshore and everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was an open competition. There was at least 40. Mm. Wow. And, you know, a lot of all the big name New Zealand architects yeah. were in there. And, yeah, as you say, mm. some, some from offshore. Mm. And, um, yeah, so mm. we, you know, we went to stage two and, you know, we won the competition. Yeah. So that's, that's how it all began. Then... 15 years later, it's been realised. So how's, because it, it's certainly changed too, isn't it? And the scheme is quite different to begin with. So is there, is that, what's that journey been like? Did it stop for a number of years? Has it always been bubbling away? Um, so the, the initial design that we produced, we, we got a resource consent for that after a you know, couple of years of work or whatever it was. And then almost to the day when we lodged the resource consent, the global financial crisis happened um, and that it pretty much skittled the project there, there was there was a lot of corporate sponsorship and a lot of money that had been pledged to the project that dried up and um, and the mission kind of fought for a bit but then realised that you know not only had that kind of financial support disappeared but also the need on the street and in society was so much that they had to focus on their core business for a while. Um, so we we stayed very much in touch with the mission and you know, hoped and prayed that the project would continue. Um, and what happened after some long periods of silence, they came back to us saying, oh, there's a big building for lease in town. Can you have a look at repurposing that for our, you know, to see what we can do? We did a few iterations of schemes like that. Mm -hmm. And then they came back to us saying, what's the, the kind of the bare minimum we could do on the original site um, to offer some sort of improved service? And we did a scheme like that. And then, and then it did go, it actually went dead for quite some time. Uh, and what happened was with, with the um, retirement from city missioner role of Diane Robinson, Dame Diane Robinson, and the appointment of Chris Farrelly to city missioner, that, that prompted a rethink and, and a whole new wave of energy and commitment to the project. And with that came a complete rethink of the project architecturally because the partnership between St Matthews and Auckland City Mission had, um, had, had changed in the sense that St Matt's didn't want to gift any of their land or sell any of their land. So the building then couldn't open north where the St Matt's mm. shared boundary is so we had to reconfigure um, there was supported accommodation for solo parents to retrain in education facilities in, in the city which was a big part of the original mission in the city project and that had been taken out of the brief so there's a big rethink so we started from you know scratch again at that point and that was about five five or six years ago now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that brief that you just outlined right at the beginning about how visionary it is and all of the things it encompasses, that's some distance from the original scope of the well, project. Well, no, no, that was always in there. That was always yeah, in there, Yeah, but, right. but it had, in addition to that, it had this targeted housing for, yeah. for um, single parents. Mm-hmm. That's so, really the only thing that fell I, out. I, I, think, I think it was, but it was substantial. I mean, it cut the area down by, you know, well, I wouldn't say 50%, but 30% or yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. But so, it made, made the project better mm. because it meant that we didn't have to cover the entire site with an 11-storey building. It meant we could have some lower parts and we could get more light into the mm. building and some sunny courtyards and things like that. So, you know, on the whole, it was a great thing. Oh, and the other great thing that happened actually in the meantime was parking minimums disappeared. Yeah. So we could actually make a much less deep basement. Mm. And that was great. Fancy. Mm. Fancy. So yeah. that being... Could, Yep. Yeah, oh, that being so, would have been a major cost <coughs> thing oh. for not only people who <laughs> yeah. don't have cars but don't have homes. You know, we, we had to dig down in order to get car parking in the original scheme, but eventually we didn't have, we barely had to dig out at all because because of the two roads are at, at um, one level difference mm. between Hobson Street and Federal Street. We can just drive in it. Come straight Street. in off Federal. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it's actually, you know, it's effectively on ground level. Yeah. So basement and retaining for a large building was, was pretty minimal. Yeah. Um, whereas originally we were going down three or four levels to get the parking minimums, I think. And it's a relatively place. small footprint for, in terms of yeah. the ramping and stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like so it's super inefficient. inefficient. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's, that, that all disappeared. That was wonderful. Yeah. And, um, and I guess also what happened was the mission as a business had evolved a bit in their thinking and they had cemented in some certain things about the service offering they wish to deliver and other things maybe had changed or they challenged themselves a bit. So I think um, what was really good about revisiting the project was Nick and I had all that background and we, we briefed this thing up in, in the original project and tested lots and designed the whole building. And so we were able to engage with the mission in a lot of detail really easily, really quickly and, um, and sort of take things a lot further so it was I think that in a way that time for the project that never went ahead wasn't wasted mm. no, I think it was actually really valuable research in a way mm. um, I was going to say architects become accustomed to living with projects with long gestation periods but 15 years is kind of mm. extreme yes. and I wondered um, firstly if you could describe the emotional trajectory of that ride but also what survived from the original scheme or what you were pleased to have the opportunity to revisit because you feel like you hadn't cracked in that first iteration, if anything? I mean, the emotional journey, well, you know, <laughs> it was quite a roller coaster. You know, it was a huge thing to embark on this on this project in the first place. And we got quite a long way down the line. We got a resource consent for it. So, you know, we were ready to go to the next stage. Mm. And then the GFC just, you know, blindsided us and it just went into hibernation for about seven years, really. And we, I mean, we were totally gutted. And for a long time, it was a, you know, a source of great sort of, you know, depression, really, mm. about this incredible project. Um, and then we probably got to a point where we were resigned to the fact that it was never going to happen. We kind of lived in hope for a long time. and. A few false starts where we thought it might come back and moved beyond denial. Yeah, yeah, bargaining and yeah, I've curbed my drink. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, I remember 
you know, going along, you know, invited to the inauguration of the new city missioner, Chris Farrelly, which was, you know, a really wonderful occasion. It was really sort of a moving occasion. And um, one of the board members of the mission, you know, introduced me to him and they said that, you know, they were thinking about getting this started again. And it was pretty much, you know, Chris Farrelly just saying, okay, we're going to do this. And it was, you know, I went running back to the office the next day and said, Gary, I think this project's on again, we just couldn't really believe it. Yeah. You know? No, slightly. So, so, you know, and then, you know, then, then you know, wasn't really. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the money is not sitting around for a project like this. It had to be raised. Mm. Well, and, you know, they're pretty it, brave in kicking it off, right? Well, they, they, they really are because, you know, you would have to say the funding is not in place at the beginning and it's a huge act of faith and willpower for a project like this to happen. So the fundraising story mm. is actually one of the extraordinary stories of this because $50 million was raised through philanthropy, which is mm. way, way more than any other public project by mm. quite some margin. Mm. Um, and, you know, so that is combined with a certain amount of, you know, probably the same in government funding. It's pretty much a 50-50 split. Mm -hmm. And the government funding comes through various sources, through through different agencies, through um, Housing New Zealand, through the housing part, through the, um, through, you know, the WDHB for some of the detox and various other wings of government in order to get, and get those funds. Is is capital and um, operating funds. Right. Mm. But you're absolutely right, Matt. I mean, the, the, the conviction and the, and the courage of the mission to commit money to architects and the whole raft of consultants early without certainty of a sure thing when that money could actually go and feed people and deliver their services. Yeah. Huge call. Mm. Um, and there were some, some key yeah. people involved in the raising of that money too. Mm. You know, the, the people that headed up the, the fundraising campaign, one was uh, Richard Didsbury, who was, you know, a, a you know, well-known businessman and art collector and philanthropist in Auckland, but he really put his heart and soul onto this project in, in a, a totally phenomenal way. Mm. And he really, he was connected and, you know, into a world of, you know, Money, yeah. funds, mm. he, he, and he went out there and you know shoulder tapped a lot of people and big funds and corporations and everyone else. And he worked very, very closely with Celia Coey on the Auckland City Mission Board, who again is you know a very, very you know skilled, classy operator with mm. you know uh, with a vision. And the the two of them really, um, and in, 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 yeah. in particular, Amazing. really went out there and, and, and yeah. raised this. Very big sum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the, nearing the end of the project, you know, because costs keep, you know, going, like all architectural projects, costs just keep rising the whole time. Nobody's doing this sort of thing on a fixed price mm -hmm. because, no, you know, mm -hmm. builders just would not do that because too many have gone bankrupt doing it. And, you know, it was fairly tight at the end and then the government did come through with some of the shovel-ready money in, at the last minute, which really enabled us to finish it off. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at that point, you, know, you could see that the end was in sight. Mm. It's easier to raise money when it's just to finish something off. Yeah. yeah. The people who put in the money when there was just nothing. Yeah, to start. Just, just yeah. some ideas, <clears throat> yeah. you know. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, it takes a lot of bravery. And there was a very important uh, early donation 
which really kicked off this fundraising. And I mean, it's a it's a lovely story. Um, it was Foundation North, you know, who are, used to be the ASB Trust, and now they are Foundation North, and they they have um, you know a process for applying for funds, and so the mission applied for a, a five million dollar you know donation to kick this off, and uh, they turned it down, and they said, can you uh, can you just uh, reissue this for ten million, please? And they did, and they gave it. Wow. wow. So, you know, mm. almost brings a tear to the eye, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, they so got it, and they, they were right there at the outset. And if, if you kick a project off with a $10 million you know, fund, it just mm. energises a lot of people. And also a lot of people then know it's a real project. Yeah, you know, yeah. Galvanises yeah. it with those it, other people it really who does. are on the fence behind yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, so that was key. And so, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for mm. that. And one of the keys to that was... A byproduct of the redesign and the rethink um, opened up the opportunity to build this thing out of timber and take a much stronger stance to building a better environmentally performing building. Yeah. And that was really important to Foundation North. That was an aspect of the project mm -hmm. that they aligned to and appreciated. Um, so I think, you know, that was a good thing that came out of sort of ditching the old and starting afresh. Mm. So I wanted really to kind of, kind of swing to that because one of the many things the building's notable for is its CLT construction and you you might have some stats but it certainly must be one of the taller or yeah, tallest, I, the tallest CLT in building country. in New yeah. Zealand, right? Yep. yep. And and that move to that construction method that was more recent, that was to do with this yep. more... That mm. was, that was yep. where we redesigned the building. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. six years ago. Yeah. That must be a story in itself. Because six years ago, CLT construction, yeah. you know, small scale stuff yeah. Um, yeah. over the horizon almost. Um, so, the, uh, I've sort of had some insights into the complexities of unpicking that, but that in itself must be, you know, would have been a challenge. Mm. Yeah, well, how it, how it came about was we, um, I mean, fortunately, we got reappointed as architects uh, and then they went on a search for the other consultants and some of the ones from the previous project came along were reselected and, and others weren't and we, we got um, we ended up working with AECOM and, and a really talented engineer Lana de Buca. Um and she really early on Nick and I had some discussions with her about what we might like to do with the building the main thing for us was Realizing that the building couldn't be a building that was, uh, you know, architecturally expressed through a facade or, or let's say, architectural gymnastics, it just there wasn't money for that. So we were quite keen on working out how to use engineering and servicing and architecture all together, so that that was the expression of the building, and mm -hmm. therefore couldn't be value managed out because. If the structure's holding it up and yeah. it looks cool and it works for the architecture and it helps it breathe and everything, then there's the building. And Lana was really, you know, as an engineer, would be pretty excited about this idea. And the fact that uh, a lot of the building, the bulk of the building, is is cellular in its plan because they're smaller rooms with a fixed ceiling height, she said to us, you know, what about mass timber? And we were like, yes, please. We as an office were already really interested in timber construction and, and we'd, we'd designed a couple of houses where we'd challenged the engineer to 
use no structural steel and we'd achieved that and we continue to do that. Um, so for us, that, that was something we were already excited and interested about. And Lana really was the, was the, um, the person who early on said, we can do this. Um, and, and interestingly, Acom being a worldwide consultancy had a lot of information and, and mm. um, data from Australia where, you know, Tall Timber is, you know, it's ahead of where we're at. And so she could tap into those resources early on and get some facts and figures. Um, and then a young engineer called Matt England, who was working there, also got appointed early on to help Lana. And he was, um, you know, just a dynamo of excitement and enthusiasm for timber. So we took it to the mission and they, they were skeptical but interested. Um, and so we actually designed two schemes that architectural expression was fairly similar but one was steel and concrete and one was timber and steel cross bracing and we sort of developed those up for a, for a period and had them QSed and evaluated and tested so that we knew that it was you know equal if not better financially and structurally and that sort of stuff so it was um, it was a big risk but then there was a certain appeal to it too and the foundation north donation was a was a real tick in that box that this was um, helping the project. Mm. Yeah. So the, the CLT um, competed equally then? Well, uh, I think it'd be interesting now, Matt, we haven't gone back and checked it from a financial perspective, because sooner or later you've got to let it go and then there was an extra floor added in and yeah. all this sort of complexity yeah. happened. So, so, but at the time where it was chosen as the preferred construction method, it was yeah. It was cheaper than the concrete and steel equivalent. Great. QS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. Great so, here, right? Yeah, good to hear. And 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 largely because there was enough of it and there was enough repetition, that's mm. where it really started mm. to come into its own. Mm. The floor cycles, the lack of wet works above, you could yeah. get through and fit it out. There was a whole lot of advantages that really came in to the fact that it was an ad scale. And thinking and the, about your end user group as well, I mean, it's a far more appropriate material in terms of the just the general feel of the building. Well, the warmth, yeah, the sense of warmth exactly. when you when you're inside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, in some places it has to be covered up because of mm. acoustic reasons and fire rating reasons, but we've we've left it exposed as much as possible. Mm. And no, you really get a sense of warmth, and it's a non-institutional mm. kind of feel, which was something we really. Were huge on we really wanted it not to feel like you know classic institution yeah i've, I've been lucky enough to walk through it that, that comes through it, it, it um, from the laneway on the ground floor you know, mm. to the, to the, to, the terracotta yeah and the the um the the warmth of the timber even in this you know the fire stairs mm. um mm. It, it just adds that um uh, something else to it you know mm. it's, it doesn't feel institution at all have you been able to talk with the residents of the building yet? Well, look, the residents are only just beginning to move in right now, so, ah, so we haven't been able to, and I think there's only... Uh, yeah, one floor now. Yeah, even one detox is working most. in one floor, I think. But yeah. it, it COVID has just stuffed up their ah, gotcha. occupation plans. Yeah, yeah. yeah Omicron just so put back them. Way behind the eight yeah. ball. And so what was your engagement like with potential users during the process? Oh, like man, the like the yeah. briefing workshops with the mission staff. Um, we travelled to Brisbane to... Um, look at a common ground over there. The engagement with the homeless committee, with various representatives of the homeless community, um, doctors, psychologists, just, I mean, we're 
we had a lot of meetings, really, really interesting meetings, yeah. fantastic meetings. And one of the things I would say about the City Mission is that they are really, they're so forward thinking and are so kind of um, innovative in, in what they want to do and how they want to do it that we were able to really have some good, robust challenges and why do you do it that way? Hmm. Oh, or just have they were so hamstrung by their original facility and, and, and how they could do things was just the way that they it was just managing so we were able to collectively as a big group of people just refine and question and test and um, the whole reception area we mapped out and mocked up inside St Matthews and got everyone in there to say is this going to work you know a fantastic journey of briefing and yeah. testing mm. and evolution mm. of the program the whole way through amazing you yeah, were very hands-on clients yeah you know yeah and they had to rethink how their entire organization worked and it was a major scaling mm. up when you when you see the size of their previous operation versus mm. their building you're looking at now mm. and they had they had no no housing at all prior to this you know they didn't didn't provide housing no. Um, well, not on not on that side. Um, so that's a whole new, you know, and it's highly supported housing too. So it, you know, there's a lot of wraparound. It's it struck me as man was explained to me that there, with the exception of two uh, somewhere else, there are no public showers in um, in all the city, and that this provided mm. somewhere where homeless people were going to have a shower. Yeah, it, that's right. It, it, and the the complexity and the um, the extent of the provision that's there it's it's an amazing hole that has been filled and it kind Mm. of didn't really strike me how big the hole was Mm. um true until walked through that building and thought this stuff wasn't provided before and you're absolutely right i mean there's there's a there's an area of showers and public toilets which are managed and monitored and Mm. open at certain times of the day for for people literally who live on the street because i mean this building won't stop their being homeless mm. um but we we can allow them to live with some dignity too by coming yeah. and having a shower while they have a shower their gear's safe there's someone there to keep them safe mm. um they can have a hot meal that in situates into the mission being able to make connections to then maybe some medical care or or other services can be wrapped around and offered even though that person may not be in the building um, it's just it's just opening up the opportunity to help. You know, it's transformational in that sense um, for the homeless community and the people who the residents of the building, but also for the staff of the mission. It's hugely transformational. Um, we've put a lot of care and attention into the safety of the staff, mm-hmm. and so all meeting rooms have two ways out. Um, it's a really basic thing. Yeah, this is a safe room. Yeah, look, we've, um, we've had some rough interviews <laughs> before. It sounds such a basic thing, but, yeah. you know, it stops standover tactics and things like that. Um, being able to look into spaces from other spaces, passive surveillance, that's that great urban design kind of thing that and sometimes annoys us all, but super important. And we've managed to create that with the admin overlooking the laneway, um, lots and lots of through views if you go through the ground and second floor you can just look through the building and lots of layers um just huge things that we've been able to do that they've never had before in their previous facility have ever been in there it was unreal Mm -hmm. what they what Mm -hmm. they were doing and what they had is 
incredible. And now they have uh, the potential is sky high because the building works for everyone. You know, the the people, the, it's the people having the services, but the people giving the services. It's it's, it's so much better. <coughs> I didn't realise that the old building is an annex to the new one. You know, the, the, yes. the heritage building next door as part of this project has been refurbished and, it has, and yes. Yes. so to think that they operated out of that uh -huh. you know, yeah that annex uh, yeah that well it was a little bigger than that they did own a building beside it right. as yeah, well yeah, so it, was, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't quite That's that right. but it does feel like they've gone from that little yeah. historic yeah. building which was the old prince of wales pub mm. owned by sir john sir john logan campbell you know back in the day yeah which is why it's been it has a um, heritage rating because of its social history, because mm. it wasn't really a great building. It had been well messed with. But we have restored it, you know. And really. we're pleased it's there. It's, oh, we're, we're, no, we're, we're very, very happy that it's there. And it does, and it does give that sort of little, that little jolt of, you know, where you get the sense of the story of what's happened to the mission. They've gone from this to this. Mm. And so it's, uh, it tells that story very succinctly. Yeah. You talked mm. about... Like you mentioned dignity, and I can't remember who. Well, maybe it was Jade Carke. Someone said like someone described architecture as an act of radical empathy. So that mm. process of kind of coming to understand who that user might be, and you know yeah. the, the way you talk about it, that process, what you've come to understand to design in that way, such a unique user. Like we all know what we like to do at the beach. We all know like mm. what we want to do in a workplace this is such a um you know such a different experience to design for do you think and, and you've talked about all of the ways that the slowness of the project allowed you to go deep i might be i might be um, projecting there but do you think that could have all been achieved the way it has had it followed its anticipated program and skipped along in a few years and be done or is it a factor of those happy accidents of time and the GFC and that donation and the switch to CLT that well, have made it what it is? Good, good question. I, I, maybe someone should commission us to do another one more quickly. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to say. I think it's probably You can a bit contact Stephen Lawson through the website. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit of both, Archer. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I think that the time and the story and the, and the relationship we've built with the mission certainly is projected in the building that's there now. Um, we, we're, we're part of their whanau, we, mm. we, we're very close to the mission um, and that's, that's, you know, 15 years spent together. Um, but the building and, and what's there now was designed, you know, five or six years ago in a concentrated um, manner under huge time pressures. A sort of traditional, a traditional quick design yeah, process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Everyone yeah. just tearing their hair out and us, you know, I looked mm. a lot younger before yeah. this started. Um, <laughs> Nick mentioned that earlier. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's hard to say. But but what I would say, you know, back to your dignity point, you know, Nick and I always took the view that we wanted this building to sit there at the end and, and, and for people of all walks of life to desire to be in it. It shouldn't look like it's downgraded accommodation mm. for people that you you know some people have opinions on this stuff and that you know, yeah that maybe the building could come across as too too flash or or, yeah. or whatever but we believe you know it just should be a place that's desired and loved like any home mm. you know and, and 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 that that is our job as architects to do the most we could with what we had and and leave a building that that is 
loved and desired and attractive and beautiful, all the things that we love about architecture. Yeah, we wanted it to be a building that had heart and had soul. And so when somebody came, you know, because it, it was people's homes, mm. it, was, it was the home for the homeless or the big house in the city. But, you know, that's, that's why it has those roof forms that it does. So, you know, it really, you look at it and you, you know, you have a warm feeling. Mm. Mm. How did it make you feel about the wider problem of homelessness? Because you're describing this titanic effort. Yeah. to create an incredible building that provides 80 rooms. Yeah. Um, do you feel optimistic about the possibility of solving the problem of homelessness or well, does the sheer well, scale well, of the effort you've had to put in make it seem no, no, challenging? No, no, it's, it's part of a, a wider um, campaign and, 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 and I'm not sure what to call it, but it's, um, it's called Housing First. And the whole, you know, the whole concept of Housing First is that you can really only deal with problems, you know, of, you know, of whether it's homelessness or addiction or mental health, you can only deal with it when somebody has a place to live. They've got to live somewhere first and then you can start dealing with all the other issues and you can start getting people's lives back on track and, you know, step by step doing that. So this is one project within that sort of wider concept of Housing First. And so that, you know, there are other Housing New Zealand developments being built. They won't have this level of wraparound, but there will be a certain amount of wraparound. But as well as this, the mission themselves are looking into sort of other kind of satellites where they might have, they might take over a hotel that's no longer being used and they get another, they might get another 80 rooms, but they've got the mothership, you know? So these are satellites. So it's, you know, it actually, that's, I mean, it's a very good question you ask, but it is scalable. It's not isolated. Is it's what not you're isolated. It's actually it's actually part of a whole. It's network. a multi pronged approach. So. And you know, you know, also there are other organisations involved in this housing first. You know, other, you know, like the Salvation Army, um, the Methodist City Mission. Now, I'm not exactly sure what their plans are, but you know, they they form part of a wider network. Mm. It's just that this is just this is the the mothership for the City Mission. Yeah, that's yeah. great to hear. You know, if you think about that idea of create, creating homes for the homeless, or well, a home, symbolic home, I mean, mm. what, did, what, how did that inform your brief? You had obviously a lot, a lot of opportunity to talk to the mission, um, but what did you yourselves bring to that? Were there kind of um, either technical aspects of the build or, or other ideas that you thought, hey, this is a way that we can bring dignity as architects to these mm. people's lives? Well, you know, what one, amazing feature of the building is the common spaces for the residents so it's not like an apartment building where you just have a bunch of rooms and you go down the lift and out the door on, on, on the roof is a big terrace which is for the use for the residents there's a greenhouse where they grow their veggies there is a common room which is amazing it's you know it's the in many ways it's the it's the best view in the entire building and various other facilities so it's you know the, the common spaces are a really key part to it and on every floor every residential floor there's a, a shared terrace space where people can come together and you know have a coffee together while sitting on a north-facing mm -hmm. deck um so that you know those those are things which are different from an average apartment building yeah. and then and then in the rooms themselves we thought um we thought about how to make them light and airy, incredibly robust. Um, each room has a has a balcony that's substantial, mm -hmm. given the floor area of the room. Thought about 
simplicity of use, so robustness of the fittings, simplicity of use, no air conditioning. We had to fight so hard for that, mm. it's unbelievable, but we actually got no air conditioning. Um, that's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, that, that's I was one of the things I'm most proud of. Yeah. 80 air conditioning units we don't have in the world. Yeah. You know? mm. so good. And, and, and you mean that you really, you had to design for that? Yeah, well, yeah. the thing yeah. is, the district plan requires you to um, sleep with a certain maximum dB of noise. And if your door's open, you and can't meet that. And and so what did you do? Wow, this amazing guy called David Waters from APL uh, came along with this product called Ventian, which is a... A trickle ventilation unit that's built into the head of the joinery that has uh, an acoustic baffle in it and it's uh, it allows you basically to get fresh air in without the noise huh. um, and so that that coupled with a bit of extraction and a little bit of some supply we managed to get and convince the council we didn't need to air condition huh. and that's great because the thing is um, air conditioning in a reasonably small room is heavy-handed and unnecessary but also mm. it's a cost that the residents didn't need and, and also if you come off the streets that's an incredibly artificial environment well, yeah. to walk into i would yeah. imagine it would make you feel quite alienated mm. yep yeah mm. yep um simple things like all the balustrades are higher than code mm. um at a point where we you know agreed with with the city mission themselves um you know all the all the cabinetries plywood with notched out handles so that these aren't handles that fall off mm. or come loose and, and it just so they're, they're very very simple things that probably we'd all think of but we we did think about all this stuff mm. and we go okay if we were living in here what 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 would we need is it be a minimum what would be nice to have how could we make this really robust not only for the mission and maintenance but for the people living here they don't look shabby um, mm. So, well, yeah, that, that's the kind of, so from what Nick was saying, that the, the common rooms and the way the building works for residents are through to the, the detail in the rooms. We, we have thought about quite a lot mm. to try and make it as good accommodation as there is. I mean, the mission says that as a community living there, they don't see it as, you know, 80 individuals mm. going about their life and, you know, individual lives and these are not temporary homes either right no, so, residents so, so, this, so this is this is the other interesting thing is that i think some people think it's like a shelter you know like a temporary thing but it's not when you get a place you are there for as long as you want to be and it's part of this whole idea that it's a, it's about transformation it's not about just temporary temporarily keeping keeping a roof over somebody's head so you come in and you have this you know you have um social workers and you have um facilities around detox, um, mental health, but also sort of other things like life skills, you know, you know, learning to use computers, learning to cook. Um, there's carving workshops going on downstairs. There's drama workshops. You know, it's, it's, it's about the full rounded um, experience. And then from, from this, some people will feel well enough that they might say get a housing New Zealand apartment somewhere else. So they will sort of move on. They'll be what they call churn, mm. and they expect that to be. I think expect about a third every year of yeah, fifteen to twenty percent. Fifteen is that all? Is, but you know, so there is some of that mm. as well. Um, Almost all of it is positive turnover. So people like yeah. Nick said mm. that they may meet someone mm. and they may get a housing New Zealand house out. Mm further or they may, may get a job. a job and decide to move or whatever so it's it, 
often this this is not i mean we don't know that for this building yet but the common ground model when you when you research is kind of open sourced and everyone's very uh, open with the statistics that the the turnover is is predominantly positive turnover which is fantastic you know that's what we hope for and we hope our building contributes to that and a positive outcome for people mm. as well you know the more positive the, turnover, mm. the better right yeah. well you know there's a bit of a danger they like it too much yeah, and nobody yeah, knows. Yeah. <laughs> but um i think we're, we're taking some advice from the experts on that yeah. Yeah. yeah you're also designing really beautiful bespoke homes for clients yes and i wondered how it feels to be working at both of those ends and if there's any dissonance in terms of shuttling back and forth between those two types of architecture if you see them as different types yeah well you know i mean we love the uh democracy of of architecture we, we like to think that you can design well at you know for, for the high prices and also for you know for people who have, have the least so that's something we really wanted to do and so we don't yeah we don't we some people think you know that that would be uh, a difficult thing to do those but for us we probably think that that's what excites us about it mm -hmm. yeah and i don't know in many ways Designers design, you know, design for living a good life can be quite similar. It's not as different as you may think. And I guess in a funny way, there have been fewer opportunities to design social housing because architects haven't been commissioned to do that mm. work and people haven't been paying for it in the same way. Mm. Would that be true? I think, I think, I think to design for a needs group such as this, you know, in New Zealand, I don't think there's been another opportunity, you know, to this extent. So it's an incredibly unique project and, and and therefore incredibly important not to stuff it up, you know, and to show what architects can do and the architectural process can deliver, you know, a, a robust, positive outcome. Because mm. they didn't um, have to use an architect. Well, on a building of that scale, they could, they could have, yeah, they could have chosen anyone they wanted, but mm. luckily they chose us. And... Um, but, I, but I, I guess my, my wider point is, is that, you know, it's, it's so amazing to be um, trusted by the mission to deliver this stuff for them mm. and to work with them and interpret their needs and their grief and, and, all, and all their desires into a building. It's, um, and, and, it, and I think that, it, you know, it's, as Nick says, you know, design is design. I guess it's just... It's the same thing. You've got to boil it down to okay, what's the problem? What do we need to solve? What do we not know about? What do we need to research and find out about? It's that process, and you just, you know, you just go through it. And I guess it's the same for a perhaps a um, a coastal house with with really tough site conditions. You've got to do the same kind of research and thinking and design. That's hmm. yeah. probably what's common is, uh, and and it's probably in, across a lot of our work is this idea of humanism. And, you know, we probably bring that to the houses we design. We would like to think we've brought that to this social project that we've designed as well. Mm. And in some ways, it's not that much different. It's, sort of, it's an attitude. Yeah. So, you know, what's important? And I think the building fits into the, the lineage of the work quite happily. Yeah, this is really interesting because I was, I was kind of interested in this. Does it sort of sit outside this bubble? Is this different no, no. scale or typology? You're talking well, it's about different it scale. As, it's a whopper compared to anything else. But yeah, but, done, but you know, you're but, sort of saying it's just scale. It's otherwise yeah, a lineage. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, Matt, you've, you've been there. I think it, it probably, it has traits of our 
design yeah, fingerprints, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 feel, it very much feels like um, a building which is designed by the skills that you see in your small residential work. You know, the, in, in the hands of a, of a, a practice or an architect who was doing hospitals, um, it wouldn't have, um, it would be very different. So, um, yeah, definitely there's the craft in it, there's the, um, you know, there's the sensitivities that you wouldn't, I certainly didn't expect going into the, um, the building. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah, so it's better for it. Yeah, so, and I mean, so that's a, that's a good thing for us to achieve, and, and it's not, but it's not um, excessive or, or kind mm. of indulgent, it's, it's, um, <coughs> yeah. it's just... I think I think one important thing about the design is that people got behind the design and donated money because they did think it was inspirational. Mm. They did, you know, they weren't they weren't giving their money for it to look like a hospital. People couldn't get excited about that. So, you know, I think you know the mission were very, you know, when when things got tough financially, you know, that you'd have meetings about how you could pull money out of it, you know, you know, would they flatten the roofs, you know, would they do this kind of thing? But I think everyone realised that if you did that, you know, they, they would really struggle getting people excited about this idea. You know, there, there was a vision being sold as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, lovely, the, the, the concept, not just the concept of the building and the idea of the building, but the, the idea of the development as a whole, right? Yeah, the the what it delivers, the way it delivers, it, and mm. those things. It's clearly you know, um, gripped a number of people. Um, you you're probably too close to it now, or hasn't been operating long enough um, to to for you to really get the the um, full sense of its impact. But um, I recently heard a story of someone who had been through that. Um, detox clinic because it's been up and running for a while mm. um, and uh, they having been uh, sober for many many years uh, found themselves off the wagon and in that detox centre and I think it's fair to say that uh, it was certainly transformational for them mm. um, to come through the other side of that and I think the the building from as what I've heard the building is a you know, certainly major part of that so, uh, you know, to think that that will continue on for many decades and will continue to deliver that service to you know, the most disadvantaged people in the country and in Auckland um, you know, is a massive credit to the efforts of everyone involved. So, well done. Maybe that's a nice note Thank you. to wind mm. up on. Thank um, you. Thanks so much for coming in and sharing uh, the story of this, the saga I guess. Um, and I guess to me it's this wonderful, there's a lot of serendipity, I think, involved out of this process and time. And when you talk about the different things that have come together, both that you've experienced but that have been able to find form in the building, uh, the breadth of people you've worked with, both directly making the building but consulting with, the genuine friendships and things you summarise, you talk about being part of a family now. It's a really, it's a really lovely story. Like you said, it really does kind of bring a tear to the eye. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. as, as Matt said, you know, what it does socially. Um, you know, it's such a bluebird 
opportunity for architects, you know, at that scale we're so often working in this capitalist framework where buildings are capitalist instruments fundamentally and, and we try and get them to do everything else we can. This has at its heart such a kind of rare and special kaupapa. It's really fantastic. So as Matt said, just congratulations and um, what, a, what a fantastic project. And thanks so much for coming in to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure.